Peace and blessings be upon you. Welcome to the Ta'lif Podcast, a space where we aim to provide content and connect our spiritual hearts with community, love, service, and prophetic wisdom. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Inna alhamda lillahi na'hmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'gfiruhu wa nasta'hdiuhu. وَنَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ شُرُورِ أَنفُسِنَا وَمِنْ سَيِّئَاتِ أَعْمَالِنَا فَمَنْ يَهْدِهِ اللَّهُ فَلَا مُضِلَّ لَهُ وَمَنْ يُضْلِلْ فَلَا هَادِيَ لَهُ وَأَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهُ وَحْدَهُ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهُ وَأَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا عَبْدُهُ وَرَسُولُهُ ثُمَّ أَمَّا بَعْدُ Ibn Ta'ala had a distaste for Sufism. He thought these people to be unhinged. He thought them to be, this is a fancy word, antinomian, people who they didn't adhere to the dictates of the religious law. They just made, they, they were just out there freestyling, doing their own thing. And he was very critical of Sufis in the early part of his career. A lot of people find that surprising because Ibn Al-Ta'ilab became known, spoiler alert, for Sufism. But he was very critical of them. And his own teacher was a man named Abu al-Abbas al-Mursi, who was a direct student of Abu al-Hassan al-Shadili. And he was arguing with one of the students of Abu al-Abbas al-Mursi. And he said, you know what? You, Ibn Ta'ilah, addressing the student, you are a poor excuse for a student. And if I talk to your teacher, I'm going to tell him so. So he started looking for Abu al-Abbas al-Mursi. And he said, as soon as he saw Abu al-Abbas al-Mursi, a certain peace came over him. You know, it's amazing. Pausing right there. Some people are able to guide us by their ahwal more than they guide us by their aqwal. Meaning there's something about their disposition. It's something about their state of being that communicates with us even more effectively than their words. Like he went to tell this person off. And as soon as he saw him, a certain tranquility, a certain peace came over him, right? Like imagine going to address somebody angrily and then seeing in them something that just it, it, it produces a feeling of calm in you. And he said that instead of telling him off, he actually went to Abu al-Abbas al-Mursi and he said, I have a number of anxieties and I suffer from some depression. I suffer from some sadness. You know, I want you to, to pause there for a minute. You know, one of my teachers, he told me something. He said, you know, when you see people in the mosque and they're arguing, they're always uh, trying to correct somebody and they're usually doing it with no manners. They're very self-assured uh, and people like that, a lot of them are in personal torments. They're in personal states of torment. And somehow they think by uh, subduing other people, they will gain some inner peace. They think if I win enough arguments, 
about whatever I'm arguing about, I will actually start believing in what I'm arguing about myself. Right? So Ibn Ta'ala, instead of telling him off, he said, you know, I suffer from, from grave depression and I'm very anxious about some things. Do you have any nasiha? Do you have any advice for me? And he said, Abu al-Abbas al-Mursi looked at him. This is Ibn al narrating the story. And he said, my son, the human being, a man or a woman, only exist in four separate states. You only have four separate states of being. There is ni'ma, there is blessing. There is ibtila, there is trial or affliction, there is adversity. There is ha'a, there is obedience. And there is ma'asiya, disobedience. You are always in a combination of those states. And he said, in those states, in each one of them, something is required of you. He said, if you are in a state of na'mah, a state of blessing, the only thing required of you is thankfulness. Do you find yourself in a state of blessing? You find yourself experiencing ease with regard to anything. The only thing required of you is thankfulness. And the reason he mentioned this in connection with, um, you know, Ibn Ta'ala's anxiety is that for many people, states of ease, states of blessing can be quite anxiety-inducing because we're what? Concerned about when they're going to end. We're waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's like right now, it's January and it's 41 degrees in Chicago. I'm in a state of blessing but I'm very anxious. You're thinking, when is the Nor'easter coming? When is the polar vortex coming? You're in a state of anger. This is too good to be true. It's late January in Chicago. It's only 41 degrees outside. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, if you give thanks for the good that you have, God will increase you in the good that you have. Don't be anxious when things are going well. Just keep praising God and thanking God. Just keep saying thank you, right? He said, or if you're in a state of ibtila, you're in a state of difficulty, you're in a state of trial, you're in a season of affliction, you're in a season of struggle in your life. Patience. This is what is required of you. Patience. And patience does not negate proactivity. You can be making proactive strides to remove that difficulty, to alleviate that burden, right? To ameliorate the situation. But as you are going through your state of difficulty, be patient. Just be patient. You know, one of my friends who works um, as a therapist, she told me that 
everybody gets sad. Everybody experiences, you know, dejection. Everyone experiences melancholy. Everybody experiences pain. She said the difference between how someone with a healthier outlook experiences pain and someone that experiences deep depression experiences pain is that the person with a healthier outlook knows that their sadness, their melancholy, their dejection is just a temporary state. It's something that will come and it will go. God says, after difficulty, there will be ease. You know, my grandmother, rahimahullah, may Allah bless her. She had a very difficult life. And whenever I saw her in a state of difficulty, her saying was, this too shall pass. This too shall pass. It's not that she didn't feel the difficulty. It's that she understood this difficulty. It's not terminal. It's not going to go on forever. Right? This is something that will come and it will go. So what is required from you in a state of difficulty? Just be patient. Just be patient. Sometimes... It is just our ability to stay down a little bit longer that brings about the opening that we seek from God. And again, I am in no way endorsing fatalism. I'm not saying if you're in a bad situation, just throw your hands in the air and say, whatever God wants, this is what will happen. No, but as you try to seek ease in your situation, just be patient. Then he said, if you find yourself in a state of obedience, what is required of you is a witnessing that this state of obedience is not from you. You didn't do this yourself. Give thanks to God. Witness that God chose you to be among those who obey him. Right? In other words, don't become arrogant in your obedience. Don't look down on anyone else because maybe you're experiencing spiritual growth. Don't look at your friends who haven't experienced what you're experiencing. Oh, they're still out there. They should be more like me. Right? They should be pious and dedicated, and committed, and devoted like I am. No, just say, I thank God. Were it not for the grace of God, there go I. You know, for converts, this is much easier, man. You know, I have friends with whom I was very close when we were growing up. In fact, I have friends that I idolized. They were my friends. We were the same age, but I wanted to be like this brother. I wanted to dress like him. I wanted to be witty when talking to girls like he was witty when talking to girls. I said, man, you always just have the right thing to say. 
I wanted to be respected like he was respected. Here I am sitting at Tet Leaf teaching a class on a Tuesday night, and he's in an Indiana State Penitentiary serving 65 years for a murder. I can look at his situation and say, subhanAllah, at one time, he and I were like this. Were it not for the grace of God, there go I. I don't feel any, look at me, look at him. I made the right choices. He made the wrong choices. It was just the grace of God. I wanted to be like this person. It was just the grace of God. His path has taken him to a place. My path has taken me to a different place. But I don't feel any uh, arrogance, just gratitude. <clears throat> just gratitude. And when he writes me or attempts to communicate with me, he, he's just proud. And you're a Muslim. That's great, man. You're teaching Islam. That's great. Right? Alhamdulillah, he's a Muslim now. He's a Muslim now, mashallah. But I don't, it's just the grace of God. So if you find yourself in a state of obedience, just thank Allah. Don't become arrogant. And then he said the last state of those four is disobedience. And if you are in a state of disobedience, what is required of you is repentance. That you repair, that you rectify your state, that you repair your relationship with God, that you restore the covenant with your creator. And any of us can do that anytime we want. None of us is restricted. What's required of us is toba, is repentance. And I remind you that كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يَسْتَغْفِرُ اللَّهَ كُلَّ يَوْمٍ سَبْعِينَ مَرَّةٍ That the Messenger of God used to seek God's forgiveness 70 times every day. And the number 70 in the Arabic language doesn't refer just to like 70. It refers to something that happens in innumerable amount of times. It's kind of how we use 100 in English. He said, I told you that 100 times. That doesn't mean like 99, 100, right? This also means if you hear the statement, make 70 excuses for your sister. That doesn't mean like, okay, you don't come to my, you're not coming to my party. Okay, you got, you got 69 more, right? Okay, that's 68. Now that means just keep making excuses for that person. Oh, I'm sure if, if their schedule permitted, they would be here. I'm sure it's probably a difficult time. That's why he couldn't make it, right? Can, like 70 means innumerable. So that the prophet, peace be upon him, was regularly seeking God's forgiveness. You know, one time Aisha, anha, his wife, may God be pleased with her, she was watching him worship at night. And the, the worship of the prophet, peace be upon him, was very intense. You know, when the prophet, peace be upon him, would pray his night prayers, 
his standings would be very long. Now, there's a very important lesson in this. When the prophet would pray, he would lead prayers in the community, the standings would be short, you know, or moderate, but they wouldn't be long. Because when it came to the public practice of Islam, the prophet wanted to model the minimum that was required. In fact, he would get angry at people who led the community in prayer, who extended their prayers. There was a man named Mu'ad ibn Jabal who would pray a very long time. He would pray and his first standing might be 30 minutes. Second standing, 25 minutes. Somebody went to the prophet and complained, right? See, some of us think the companions of the prophet, peace be upon him, may God be pleased with them. They were all these super pious, you know, somebody said, Man, I want to go pray, but he spends 55 minutes in prayer. I got stuff to do. How am I supposed to live a life with somebody praying for an hour? The prophet summoned Mu'adh and he said, yeah, Mu'adh, fatanun anta. Mu'adh, do you want to make people's religion difficult for them? Is this your goal? To make people's religion difficult? And Mu'adh said, no. He said, well, khafif ala nas. Lighten up, make the prayers short, make the prayers easy for people. Why are you doing this? This was the way of the prophet. But when he was praying alone by himself, he would extend, the standings would be an hour and a half, two hours. He would, after he would finish praying his qiyam, he would, he would then be calling upon God, beseeching God, tears streaming down his face, praying for his entire nation, praying for his community. On one occasion, Aisha, may God be pleased with her, she was watching him. And rather than being impressed with all of this devotion, she was confused by it. After he finished praying, she said, Ya Rasulullah, nafsak. Like, you're wearing yourself out. God has already forgiven any mistakes that you've made, any mistakes that you're going to make. And the Prophet said, Allah akunu abdan shakura. Shall I not be a grateful servant to God? Right? So the Prophet sought God's forgiveness, not merely out of recognition of his mistakes, but just as a show of his gratitude. And he was showing us how we should be in our relationship to God. Ibn Ta'illah said that when he heard this statement from Abu al-Abbas al-Mursi, he said that his fear, his anxiety, his depression, before he spoke to this man, those things had kind of enshrouded him. They had kind of, you know, enveloped him. And he said, through listening to this man's words, it was like that garment had been removed from him. That he immediately felt at ease. And he said, from that day forward, I became a devoted student of that man, Abu al-Abbas al-Mursi. 
right? He said that, you know, I followed him. And people wanted to know, you're following this man. Have you er ever heard him say something that was contrary to what you know of the outward do's and don'ts of Islam? Have you ever seen him do something that was wrong according to your knowledge of the law? And Ibn al-Ta'ala said, never. I've never seen him do anything that ran contrary to my understanding of the outward law of Islam, the do's and don'ts of Islam. But he helped me to find the beauty of the inward dimension of Islam. And it's amazing, you know, I studied law in Egypt. I can't say I've ever heard anybody mention Ibn al-Ta'ilah in connection with law. Even though he began his career as a scholar of law, everybody talks about Ibn al-Ta'ilah in connection with spirituality. Right? That's what he became known for, right? So he was a very prolific writer. And he wrote many books. The most famous of the books that he wrote, unfortunately, is not the book that we're studying, right? This is not his most famous work. His most famous work is called Hikam Al-Ta'iyyah, the aphorisms, the wise statements of Ibn Al-Ta'illah. The book that we're reading is a book called Taj Al-Arus Hawi, the Tahdib Al-Nufus, the bridegroom's crown that is filled with knowledge to help us to polish our souls. That is the book that we're reading. Now, I want to um, put this book into context. I want to kind of look at the corpus, all of the work that Ibn al-Ta'illah has produced, and we see that this book is unique among his other books. In many of his other books, he talks about two kinds of, shall we say, Islamic spirituality. Okay. The first kind, we'll call it amali. It's like practical. It's practical. How to become a less arrogant person. We're all in need of that teaching. How to become a more generous person. How to become more focused in your prayer. How to become more consistent in your religious commitment. Right? You know, how to be a better father. How to be a better mother. How to be a better wife. How to be a better husband. Those practical, you know, manifestations of growing in your spiritual depth. And then the other aspect is what we will call dhoki, a, spiritual, a spirituality of tasting. 
right? Dhulki, meaning as one advances on the spiritual path, what is he or she tasting? What does it feel like to get closer to God? What does it, uh, you know, what do you experience as you are on that journey, right? And the journey has a destination. The destination is what we call irfan or ma'rifa, like a direct experience of the divine, right? And for those of you that feel like, wait, 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 what, what, what are we talking about here? The Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. All you need to do is reference the story of the Isra and the Mi'raj that the Prophet is taken to Jerusalem. He ascends the heavens. You know, that is something different, right? He 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 traverses the 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 Sidratul Muntaha, what is called in our scripture the lot tree of the furthest limit. Then the prophet is in the direct presence of God. Right, that is something. Something now everybody affirms this experience of the prophet, peace be upon him. That is a little bit different than just being like a good neighbor. That's what I'm saying. Like, like you know, it's like you know. I want to be a better neighbor. That's a part of your spiritual striving. But what is being described in the Isra'an, the Mi'raj, that's a little bit different than like, you know, I bring donuts for my colleagues. Right? I bring, you know, I bring stands for my, I'm, you know, uh, when I'm taking out the trash, you know, I make sure not to drop any of the refuse on my neighbor's plot or something like, you know, practical ways of being a good person. That's one thing. But then there's this experience of closeness to God. In the Hikam, Ibn Ta'ala spends most of his time focusing on the experience of that closeness, what it's like, right? How it is. In the process of doing that, he discusses some ideas and some practices that many people would regard as controversial. I'm just going to be honest with you. He discusses some things that might not suit the taste of every Muslim. Things that maybe some of us here might say, whoa, that's not my flavor. <laughs> you know, no, it's, it's that kind of it's that kind of discourse. Whoa, that's not my flavor. That's a little too much for me. Even for me, right? If I'm being completely honest with you, right? Not everything whose legitimacy I understand is my flavor. There are certain things that I understand their legitimacy, but no, no, I I come from a, a Protestant Baptist background. That's just not my flavor, right? I'm not saying it's illegitimate, but that's, that's not my flavor. I don't, I'm not into that. So Ibn Ta'ilah, he wrote another book, and that's the book that we're reading, Tajul Arus, that breaks it down 
gives the essential and stays away from a lot of those controversial things. Saying, look, if you want the experience, just focus on being a good person. You know, there's a statement, and I love this statement. It maintains that those of us chasing spiritual experiences, we want that ecstasy. Right? We want that ecstasy. We want to experience transcendence. Right? We want to levitate. I know some, some, some of y'all in here want to levitate. Some, some of y'all in here want to walk on water. Some of us want to experience what it's like to be in more than one place at one time or something like that. Okay. Okay. Here he's saying, just focus on your practical spirituality. Focus on refining your soul. Focus on your sincerity. Focus on ridding yourself of arrogance and you will experience the miraculous. You know, mashallah, we have some regulars. So all of them, you know, people like Sunny a Merchant, they know all my stories. They, I can't say anything that she hasn't heard. Mashallah, we've been studying together for many years. But for people that are new, I'll tell you a story that I think, right, encapsulates this meaning. I was once sitting with a teacher and he was talking about what in Islamic theology is called a break in the natural chain of events. And he was explaining that when something that is outside of the natural chain of events happens, at the hands of a prophet, that's called a miracle, a mu'ajizah. When it happens at the hands of someone righteous, right, it's called a karama. Now, he didn't get far enough in the lesson, but those things also happen at the hands of the unrighteous. But it's called istidraj, right? Unrighteous people might be able to do something, you know, like that, that, you know, uh, is amazing or is, uh, you know, a break it outside the natural chain of events. But he didn't get that far because, of course, we know the Dajjal, the Antichrist, will be able to perform amazing feats that, you know, uh, contradict the laws of the natural world, the natural order. Right, But he didn't get that far in the lesson. So there was a woman who raised her hand and she said, you know, Sheikh, before I became Muslim, I was a witch. Look, see, look, look, you paying attention now. I don't, there's, it, there's something about the occult that just grabs the attention of people. She said, I was a witch. And I kid you not, if any of us were in the room like this, as soon as she said that, we all like this. And she said, I attended a conference in Geneva, Switzerland. 
of witches and warlocks. And a warlock is, I guess, the male equivalent of a witch. And she said, the highest ranking member of our assembly, when he wanted to change positions in the room, he would just levitate from one position to another position. And I was thinking, sister, you need to check the expiration date on your guacamole. And then she said, I have never experimented with hallucinogenic drugs. And I have never had any issue with external stimuli, like in terms of her mental health. I really saw this. And we were like, whoa, right? Like, whoa. And then the sheikh said, well, if you go out to the airport, you'll see people flying around all over the place. That does not impress me. People that can levitate, people that can walk on water, people that can walk over hot coals, people that can, you know, uh, you know, spin, you know, 20 times blindfolded and perfectly hit a target in the bull's eye. That does not impress me. The thing that impresses me most is istiqama, uprightness. Show me an upright woman. Show me an upright man. Show me a woman of good character. Show me a man of good character and I'll show you a miracle. You see, this is what this work suggests that Ibn al is saying, okay, I took you maybe a little too deep too quickly with the hikam. Focus on your character. Focus on purifying your heart and you will see the miraculous, right? You know, uh, elucidating that same meaning. I remember sitting with one sheikh and he was talking about the great West African knower of Allah, Ahmed Ubamba. And he said that he was being imprisoned on a French boat, on a French vessel. And he wanted to make Salat al-Asr. The time for Asr came. Han al-Waqt li Salat al-Asr. And he asked the French authorities if he could pray on the ship. And they said no. So the story maintains that he took his sajada, he took his prayer mat, rolled it onto the Atlantic Ocean, made Salat al-Asr, rolled up the prayer mat and stepped back onto the boat. And we were like this. And the sheikh said, you see, you're more impressed that he made the salah on water. You should be impressed that he made the salah on time. You see, show me an upright person. Show me, you know, Someone of values, morals, traditional virtues, I'll, sh I'll show you a miracle. 
So this is what uh, we're attempting to, um, to, to bring out, you know, in this work. Uh, Ibn Ta'illah, you know, ended his life in Cairo. His maqam or where he's buried is right at the foot of the mountain of Muqattam. I used to live in Muqattam. And, you know, um, he was uh, a person that kind of had a, a, what we won't call it a double life, but he had two identities. He would teach Maliki law at Al-Azhar University, you know, shout out to Azhar, my alma mater, where I went to school, right? He would teach uh, law at Azhar. He would also teach at the Mansuriya, which is Sultan Hassan, right? In uh, uh, Masjid al-Rafai, for those of you familiar with Egypt. And then he had his private life of, you know, teaching his disciples, you know, all over Cairo, in Khanak, in, 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 the, in a Khanqa, like in a, like a lodge. Um, and um, he's a great example of joining between, you know, uh, you know, the inward and the outward. And uh, I, for one, uh, I'm very excited to cover this book. Mm. I'm very excited to cover this book. I think that uh, its benefit um, will be apparent um, to those of you who can uh, make the class. I only hope that um, I will be able to do, uh, you know, his, his work uh, justice, both in my instruction and in my in my state, um, and with that, perhaps that is a good place to end. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Wa al-Asr inna al-Insana na fi khusr illa al-Ladina amanu wa amilu al-Salihati wa tawasib al-Haqq wa tawasib al-Sabr. Subhana Rabbika Rabbil Izzati amma yasifun wa salamun ala al-Mursalin wa alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alamin. Thank you for tuning in. Please consider becoming a monthly sustainer by joining 1,000 Hearts of Ta'lif and committing to give $3 a day to keep this work coming to seekers, youth, and newcomers to Islam. Sign up today at www.ta'leefcollective.org forward slash donate. We hope you enjoyed the variety of sessions available and hope you benefit immensely. Allah bless you and Allah bless your loved ones.